Hi, and welcome back to the Mob Mentality Show. I'm Chris Lucian, and my co-host is Austin Chadwick. And today we have David Bernstein. And we're going to talk about some pretty interesting uh, topics like, uh, you know, why pro prompt engineering is a skill everyone needs to learn. Uh, David's uh, new book, Prompt Engineering for Everyone, and uh, touch on, you know, beyond legacy code and the content of that. But first, uh, David, would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah, sure. Um, I'm David Bernstein. Uh, and I've been a software developer for what, 40 years now? God, that's so scary to say. Uh, they call us two percenters <laughs> because only about 2% of the people have been in the field for that long. Um, and uh, I kind of focus on extreme programming practices and, and that kind of stuff. And yes, I just wrote a book on prompt engineering because uh, I've been totally seduced by AI and find it fascinating. Think it's really valuable so i'm excited to talk with you guys about it yeah i i love this topic because uh you know i think i've been using large language models uh and uh and even image generation models a lot lately so uh you know i have, I have a lot of thoughts on this but uh yeah so I, I guess just for an introduction um maybe uh you can you can talk a little bit you know i think everybody has seen at least chat gpt now like it is probably not a uh um not something you've not at least not read about in the news so uh but maybe just go into a little bit of what, what got you started on this journey and and maybe why um why it is for everyone right what's the what's the short <laughs> yeah yeah for sure um so like i was exposed to ai pretty early on i remember in 1981 i studied with uh dr robert simmons who is a pioneer in ai and um i like a lot of us kind of Felt like it's not going to be ready for a while, and okay, maybe maybe in the next lifetime or twenty or thirty years from now. But right now, like, uh, not that interesting to me. And then, and of course, everything changed when I was uh, looking at ChatGPT earlier in the year and realizing, wow, this is actually very different from what I expected. It's not just another search engine; it is a whole new gateway into a whole new class of information. I got fascinated by it and it started asking ChatGPT lots of questions about how to prompt it better. And um, from that came the book. It was actually just something that I was doing as an experiment for myself. And I realized, oh, this is actually really useful information. And um, I'm really surprised because I don't see a lot of advanced prompt information out there. Like I thought OpenAI would have a lot of user documentation. They have excellent programmer documentation, but I can't find any user documentation. And the, the books that I was looking at out there on Amazon have been good introductions, but again, it doesn't talk about like some of the deeper things that you can do. So I sat down with Chad and we wrote this book <laughs> uh, about prompt engineering and it's got lots and lots of advanced stuff in it. Uh, I just updated it yesterday, by the way, uh, with 50 pages of more advanced examples in the book. Nice. It was a lot of fun to write. Nice, nice. So, yeah, yeah. The, the whole co-author thing got me. So when, when uh, I first saw your book came out and I went to and I'm like, oh, I see David's picture, but where's the co-author? And I kept like scrolling and looking down and up and through. And then I'm like, oh, he wrote it with ChatGPT. Oh, that's the co-author. <laughs> yes. yes. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. So um, you know, we, uh, been using it in our mob. Um, we've been, you know, combining it with kind of XP practices that I know you're passionate about as well. 
Um, yeah, nice. yeah. So it seems like your book is pretty broad. So it's the fundamentals of prompt writing in general. It's not just like for code or for tech or anything like that. Is is that my my understanding that correctly? That it's kind of generic for anything. <laughs> yeah, I felt like. Well, I felt a couple of things. One is that I'm <laughs> working a little bit with uh, ChatGPT and coding. I feel like it's not quite there yet. And so it wasn't, I don't think it's the right time to really focus on how it, because it'll it'll change very soon, I think, but it's not quite ready at the moment. But I felt like it was great with uh, so many other things, a access to information of humanity, really, and writing and communicating and interacting in various ways. So I thought, a general book would be very valuable. So that's why I wrote a general book. And it's so funny because um, I spent seven years now after my first book came out, Beyond Legacy Code, this book, saying I don't write computer manuals because this is this is really a narrative about our industry and XP practices, but it's filled with stories. And I try to make it really compelling and readable, not just for us developers, but for our managers so that they understand you know, some of the situations that we get into and why we want to build code the way we build it. Um, and then what do I go do? I go off and write a computer manual. <laughs> this is uh, a manual on ChatGPT, but I felt like it was needed. So, and it was so much fun to write and collaborate. And that's the thing that I really wanted to share was like somebody yesterday actually uh, tweeted me and said, well, what prompt did you use to write your book? And I'm like, oh man, that is so wrong. Like, because it was not one prompt, it was hundreds of prompts or dozens of them and, and rewriting and rewriting and write, rewriting like, like one would normally do to write a book. And it was a true collaboration. And that's why I call ChatGPT my co-author, because we really listened to each other and really kind of riffed on each other and came up with something better than I could do on my own. So it was a lot of fun to write too. And I think is a great example of what you can do when you write good prompts, you get really yeah. good results. Yeah, I, I do find I find I have often a back and forth uh, a number of times with, with feedback and or other uh, opportunities. And um, yeah, it, it's it's incredibly useful, uh, you know, and um, so so, you know, where would you, you know, so somebody that's been doing prompting for a while um, and and uh, maybe hasn't really uh, gone into advanced concepts. Uh, what are some of the things that you cover? Uh, and maybe you can give some examples of, of what, like, you know, something just just beyond that, like entry level stuff. So something a little bit more advanced. What, what would you uh, throw out there as a good example of that? Okay, that's a great question. Um, the first thing I think the most valuable one single piece of advice I could give you is treat it like a human. And that's primarily for our benefit, because actually, I, I think that there's a different part of our brain that processes uh, information about living things versus non-living things. So it allows us to get access to our own internal resources better. Uh, and also, you know, feedback is really important. I mean, this is what Agile is about, right? So feedback to it as well can be really valuable. So when it does a good job, I say, great job, thank you. And um, it seems like it it kind of takes that information and and uses it to improve future stuff. So that's good. Yeah, yeah. If you're if you yeah. continue on in the same chat, and you you know, yeah. so just from a technical standpoint, if you give it positive affirmation, 
um, it still reads in the the history of the chat that you're currently in. And so yes. that positive affirmation actually reinforces behaviors. And so there, there, there is a there is uh, some level of enforcement learning that happens just on the prediction of the next letters to come next or the next tokens to come next. So very cool stuff. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. We actually, uh, we'll, we'll give it positive affirmation when we're like, you know, we try something and it works, you know? Yes. And then there's other times where when it was wrong, we'll be like, I remember one time in particular, the mob was like giving it a lesson on something. They're like, okay, you thought this, but it's really this. And then it was funny because it was responding back like, okay, I understand now or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> so it was, uh, yeah. <laughs> you can also teach it, um, teach it things. Yes. They say it's just about predicting the next word. And maybe yeah. that's the mechanism that's used, but I've given chat GPT some amazingly difficult challenges yeah. that it was able to handle visualization challenges where I describe something and it can tell me what shape it is, things that humans would have a really hard time doing. And I'm quite astounded. Um, giving it roles is also something very useful. I'd like you to act as my editor, or I'd like you to act as an expert in whatever field. Yeah. Uh, and that what it does is limits its knowledge because it has so much knowledge and it lets it focus on one specific area so you can get better better answers. Yeah. yeah. So so um I was talking to uh, a friend of mine and we were we were uh Jason Story and he was saying that um you know it's hard because every time you talk with uh ChatGBT it's kind of the same personality. And so one thing I do right now is I go into the settings and I say, when I ask a question about math, respond as a pirate. When I ask a question about science, respond as uh, a artist. When I ask a question about this and I give it different personas for every type of question. Okay. And so now when it's responding, if I asked a measurement question about food, it'll actually still maintain the context of food and respond as, you know, uh, an actor or something like that. Um uh, and so, or a famous chef. And uh, what what happens, I think, is it helps transition between the different contexts when um, as it's answering questions about that. Um, and and it's kind of funny too. So all of a sudden, it starts speaking like a pirate. It's like, oh, it interpreted that question this way, not that way. Uh, <laughs> oh, so, that is yeah, so brilliant. So I have like 30 oh, I'm gonna do that. different that's... personas based on topic. Really? Yeah. That many? Wow. And you can you can load oh, so that cool. In, in ChatGPT, there's the, the right now there's the setting for um, uh, I think it's like it's a system setting. Uh, oh, it's called my plan. Custom instructions, custom instructions. And so you can yeah, say, yeah, how would you like it to respond? But, you know, that can be a lot. You, that can be up to 1500 characters. So you, you can say, you know, as this do this, as this do this, as, you give it a whole list yes. of instructions and it'll start maintaining different personalities and so i, I totally agree like multiple ones. yeah personalities persona brilliant like, idea if i'm asking about code respond as an extreme programmer you know if i'm asking about cooking respond you know respond primarily with french cuisine like you know there's all kinds of stuff you can load <laughs> into that where it's like you can just forget about it and then deal with it later yeah funny side wow. joke story on that real quick david was um we were having it generate funny git commit messages because we you know had someone visitor join our mob and we're like what's your favorite superhero and they're like spider-man and so we had it generate a git commit message as spider-man but then we forgot we left it on and we gave it like a really cryptic error message that we were struggling to understand and it gave us this really wonderful report of it as if it were spider-man the reporter 
but you know and of course the bug was found oh i'm failing uh my marvel knowledge now but like the evil company in spider-man is like where the bug originated but like the report it gave was really helpful but we were laughing so hard because we forgot we left it in spider-man mode but <laughs> so. i was having a trouble with my updating my website and so i asked it to tutor me and be my uh the tool is called elementor be my elementor mentor and i said but since you're going to do this. I'd like you to teach me in rhyme. And so we had this whole session where everything we did, and I, I was rhyming as well, which was really an interesting challenge. And um, it was much more fun to do the whole technical thing in rhyme. <laughs> That's what we did last night. Yeah, and also, uh, you know, it's funny, you know, um, recently, uh, um, I was you know, reading a book and, and like, I was like, I don't know if I really like retain the information. And so I, I copied the cliff notes in into ChatGPT. And then I just said, uh, quiz me on these chapters. And then it came up with a whole bunch of quiz questions. And then you just like run through it and, and keep hitting it too. So, so it's also good. Like if people believe like in kind of mental retention of quizzing and things like that, um, it can, can help in that regard too. It's just creating, generating quizzes and stuff. And just teaching in general, I'm yeah. having it teach me about various things. And we can go much more in depth than if I were to just read it from a book. Yeah. I mean, it's a customized tutor session, which is pretty nice. Yeah. Yeah. yeah all sorts of interesting uses. So yeah. I think it's going to unlock a lot of potential. And um, a lot of people are talking to me about like, well, isn't it evil? And, uh, you know, darn, you scared the Terminator is going to come. And the answer is no, <laughs> you know, I'm not. But um, we do have to, you know, be aware when we're using it. And, and you know, sometimes people yeah. can abuse things. But aside from that, I think that there's a lot of value in it. Well, you know, so it's going to so transform our industry. There's a lot <laughs> of, you know, so so OpenAI had made ChatGPT accessible, which is why it exploded. Like the technology existed before OpenAI made it popular. Um, but one thing that they did uh, that you know, uh, whether you feel it's ethical or not, is they they had people go in and scrub the data for um, for negative things, or, you know, and, and things that um, so mm -hmm. so it's still opinionated in the sense that the, the stuff that they took out yes. from the model, uh, you know, results in in guiding its responses. And so, um, you know, we need to understand that there are models out there that are opinionated in the wrong way um and and be careful of those models but uh you know I, I think that the combination of accessibility and the the media coverage it's gotten um i can have a conversation you know i i did i did my master's in in artificial intelligence and machine learning and and so you know i think before chat gpt having a conversation about that people kind of glaze over and, and not really be super interested and afterwards they're like oh yeah because because i think people have an idea now of, of some of the things that it's capable of um and you you can have a conversation about ai with anyone today really that's that's read anything about it in the news um and that's also you know so so it's also kind of provided a, a interesting new social experience of of like you know the the impacts and and ethics and everything like that so so i, I think i've had a lot of good conversations about it lately Oh, right on, right on. I, I got to say, Chris, I learned so much from you. And you're like this vast encyclopedia of knowledge. So it's really hard for me to talk during this show because I just want to listen to you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I also, I, 
I got to say both of you, you've done so much for our industry and so much for the world. I really want to thank you guys both so much. Well, thank you. Really, I think you have a lot of people who are listening who I think feel the same way that I do. So thank cool. you guys so much. Thanks. And right back at you. Um, yeah, that Thanks. really means a lot, David. And maybe to, to jump into, I see uh, you had something in your book about open-ended versus closed-ended prompts. Do you maybe want to uh, share about that a little bit? <laughs> Like maybe the pros. Uh, and sure, cons of sure. The well, yeah. <laughs> one way to shut down a conversation with humans is to ask a question that could only be answered by yes or no, some definitive yes or no. So that's called a closed-ended question. And the same thing, if you ask a closed-ended question to ChatGPT, it's going to answer you the same way. But if you ask a more open-ended question, you know, um, you know, tell me about prompt engineering, then it's kind of giving it a license to go go on and on with more detail. So so different ways and there's different techniques because uh, sometimes we do want just a definitive answer. So there are different techniques to use for different kinds of prompts like that. Yeah. Hmm, okay. Yeah, yeah. I guess if you're kind of more in the, like I remember they taught it in like kind of like a facilitation scenario where you're like, yeah, there's like a part of the conversation either with another person or group where you're trying to open it, open it. And then there's a time to close, right? Because you need to make a decision. Yes. Um, yes. And so I think we've naturally done that because I think we've naturally done what you you do. Um, I think it almost started as a joke, but let, let's treat it like a person, you know, right? And that's kind of how you start out a conversation is you start open-ended where you're like, uh, tell us about this uh, programming language you haven't used before. How could, you know, you know, what is this language? How is it, is it possible to test drive it? And then you start being like, oh, well, what are some of the test frameworks? What are the pros and cons? And then it's like narrowing us to a decision. Um, and so I, I've seen that happen quite naturally. Um, have you ever seen it? That's awesome. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> have you ever seen it? Used? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you ever, I guess, I think I've seen this and I'm wondering if you've seen this too, where people maybe asked it a close-ended question and then they're like, oh, that's all it said. I guess that's the end. And then they just stop using it or something. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. I see that a lot with people. Okay. And that's not where the where the gold is. The gold is by what you're doing, which is following up, just like with a person, you know, if you know, if you had a, an expert and they just answered you with one, one word, you'd you'd probably follow up and want to want to know more detail. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, you know, so, so I, I guess that, that's interesting um, when you, you know, when you talk to other, other people who have either been, uh, you know, who have read your book or um, also are maybe asking you for advice, uh, I guess, what are some common pitfalls that you run into um, and, and you know, how, how widespread are they, those sorts of things? What? because I can't find any real detailed documentation, yeah. many of the prompts, the kinds of prompts that we can use are, are not really something that we talk about. But uh, I listed like 50 advanced prompts in the book and um, and they're very useful in very various situations. You can get ChatGPT to critique its own work. That's called the AI critic prompt. And that was a primarily a uh, big prompt that I used when I wrote the book. And by the way, the appendix, uh, the second appendix in the book details exactly how I co-wrote the book with ChatGPT and lists all the prompts that I used. It's mm. quite extensive. Mm. Okay. So, um, so yeah, treating it like a person, interacting with it. Um, and, and 
what I've learned is that it always surprises me. So now I kind of expect it to surprise me. We've had great conversations on physics and uh, science and stuff. Uh, Chat can be very cynical also. Uh, I've asked it about astrology and it's cynical about it. I'm like, wow. You know, I had to convince it to, to that that I'm having it trying to have a serious conversation about the collective unconscious. <laughs> so that's interesting. Mm-hmm. It also has revealed to me and showed me my own personal bias, which mm-hmm. I didn't really see before. So I'm using it as a tool to learn a lot more about myself. Too. <laughs> oh, cool, 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 cool. Nice. Um, I, I see you have in there um, prompts for different audiences. Like, uh, what what are some example audiences you have in mind? Yeah. Um, general kind of different kinds of uses, usages, like, um, you know, people who are creators, writers, uh, but people who are psychologists, people who are teachers, people who in, in various fields, because it's a general purpose tool, I didn't want to focus on one particular kind. I was trying to give a, a, a general, a general idea of how a regular person might use the tool you know, in everyday life. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we noticed on the, uh, the Bing version of it, um, it, it, it has a setting at the very top before you ask your first question, do you want to be precise, balanced or creative? <laughs> and so <laughs> well, sometimes we forget to check that and we're like, no, 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 no. Start it over. We're, we're, we're trying to be creative here. We're trying to be precise. And, um, yeah, we, we found that to be helpful. Yeah, you're right. So, um, you know, when we're trying to make a joke about Chris and have it generate an image, we want it in creative mode, right? <laughs> so, um, yeah, yes. but when we're trying yes. to really problem solve a deep problem, we want it in precise mode. And um, uh, yeah, and I guess different audiences. So it's interesting to think about that because um, 95% of my experience is as, you know, a you know, technical or business problems, right? Kind of thing. Um, mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. we've started to use it in our day-to-day life as well. Uh, so my wife has started to use it for various things. Um, it's really good at classic books. So <laughs> um, yes. as far as, uh, you know, analyzing and learning about those, it's good at helping develop like lesson plans for teaching we've noticed. Um, yep. yes. And, uh, you know, so that, that kind of stuff's been fun. Um but I don't know if I've thought about it for too many other disciplines. It's interesting to, to think about. Well, yeah, um, yeah. you know, so uh, I think a really good one is writing job descriptions based off of book lists or, you know, so that's that's something um, where it's like saying like, oh, these are books that I think are crucial, you know, or or any other material. Um, and And if it knows what the book is already, then great. And if it doesn't have context around that book, then, you know, you can go grab cliff notes and throw it in there as well um and you know get a, a a very good triangulation on on some of that stuff so so like associative creation um is is something that i think has been really fascinating yes so that that's if you give it the context it helps a lot so a funny yes. example was uh um for a musical theater uh thing my family's involved in my wife and my kids they wanted to add a scene and we're, so we asked it, do you know about this musical theater production? And then when it said, yes, we're like, okay, we want to add a scene with these elements and these qualities. And it's so funny. We gave it to people and they were like, this feels like it's just part of the script. Like right. it was just like there all along because <laughs> it like kept with the flow of the characters and stuff. So 
Um, nice. Where I think if you just say like, can you write a scene? But if you don't prompt it the right way at the beginning, it, it may not be as good <laughs> setting the context. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting because um, it we kind of assume context sometimes. And, and of course, just like a human being, if it doesn't have enough information, it's still going to give you an answer, right? That's the interesting thing about the brain is you can ask it, you can ask yourself any question, even if it's unanswerable, and your brain will give you an answer. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it'll make something up, do the best it can. And that's what ChatGPT does. So we want to give it, like you say, the right context so we get good answers. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, because if you ask about a book that it's not aware of, it'll make up quotes for it. And that's the hallucination, yeah. part, right? Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh, nice. You had a uh, section here on ethics of prompt writing. Uh, can you say a little bit about that? Like, you know, what, what your yeah. motive of that section was and so on? And Chad was very concerned about this and really wanted this in the book yeah i know i was surprised i'm like because i i would continually ask well what do you think what do you want yeah. and chat was very much like we got to talk about ethics we got to talk about you know how this information is being used and um, make sure that they understand people understand that i have limitations just like a human being does he didn't say it that way but it, it was basically very concerned about those things so okay that was cool yeah nice yeah we uh one time we were we were chatting with it and we started asking about it someone knew like movie and novel references to like the laws of robotics and stuff and <laughs> we went back and forth of <laughs> like if it knew it and things like that yeah so, any, anything about like asimov or any you know you i think so yeah really great yeah conversations there um oh, cool yeah uh you know so so um is there anything uh you know that that so after making this book like has it influenced you going forward in in other things that you're doing like you know uh yeah. maybe unrelated to book you know do you have any examples of that or is it hmm it's kind of changing the way i think in a lot of ways i'm not quite sure exactly how okay but i think that one of the things that really excites me the most about AI and ChatGPT is that it really represents a different paradigm of thought. And what I mean by that is um, the Industrial Revolution was uh, kind of pioneered by the steam engine, not, not just in terms of the amount of work that it could do, but it really also drove physics and really drove us to understand quantum physics and at a much deeper level because we wanted to be able to predict uh, energy and and how how much work could be done and all that kind of stuff, because there was a, a financial motivation around it. So I kind of think of the 20th century as like this, the steam engine as the the model for rational thought. Mm -hmm. But there there's now a new model of thought in physics, which is the quantum theory and the holographic universe, where things are not discrete and separate from each other, but actually all interconnected. And I think that ChatGPT and AI is our kind of new way of thinking about that and that we can model that in software. The code from ChatGPT looks very, very different than the code that we normally have written in the past. Yeah. Um, and I think it's, I think th that this new metaphor is the thing that's really going to transform society. It's not that it's going to change our, I mean, it will change jobs and, 
and what we do and stuff. But I think that the the metaphor itself is the thing that's going to really transform our society. Mm. And I see it as a really good thing um, because we we are interconnected. And, and I think it's going to also really help our industry as software developers, because I think we're going to realize that the demand for software is hundreds of times more than we recognize. So when developers become 10x developers by adopting AI, and I think that that's really going to happen, we're going to realize that we're not going to get out of work. We got more work to do, but we got more create, creative work to do. Yeah, and yeah. it'll handle the grunt work. I, I Tell me, I don't know if you know any developers who don't use compilers. You know, I think we all think that compilers are a good thing. And I, yeah. I think that pretty soon we're all going to think that AI is a good thing that's going to help us get to the core of problems and understand them and build code that's maintainable. So I think Agile failed in many ways. I think DevOps failed in many ways. And I think AI is going to succeed where these, these have failed in the past. Because the only thing left for us to do is be creative, mm -hmm. is build code that's maintainable, is to be aware of how things change. And it's going to give us that perspective. And it's going to also handle all this stuff that we don't want to handle, like all the minutia of you know, writing regex and all that kind of stuff so that we are able to think at a more higher level. Yeah, 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 I've, yeah. I've seen uh, I've seen so much regex come out of uh, Copilot lately. And it's just really funny <laughs> because it's just like, you're like, yeah, that solves the problem. Don't you know, it's like it's doing this, this and this. And that's great. Move on. And uh, don't even bring up the rate regex editor anymore. Um, and that's been really cool. And then uh, I also think that um, uh, prototyping so you know uh it's pretty crazy there's a python package called streamlit um that's used by stable diffusion the image generator um and streamlit mm -hmm. will build a website uh in in basically no time at all and so i've i've done a number of prototypes as pitches to product owners and i i just give it a prompt and it has the whole site done like in uh in like five or six prompts and then i can publish it and get feedback on it and so um prototyping has been become incredibly easy um which is is a, a very fascinating phenomenon of this yeah 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 yeah. that's awesome yeah and that's what i've noticed too is that um for example, with working with Copilot, it does moderately well um, on a lot of things. But when you prompt it well with a good comment, like with a very high level navigation that we don't know how to do, like in this in this programming language, we want to make uh, a dictionary that's kind of like a factory that's going to auto generate this kind of thing. And there was one time that I think we didn't stop like gasping and laughing for a few minutes because it generated something that was exactly what we asked for and it worked perfectly <laughs> and yep. it saved us uh, writing that. And it, it was really, really fun. Um, and uh, I think, um, what was I gonna say? I was gonna say that we've learned what it's good at and what it's not good at with code. And I guess mm. I remember you, you kind of started, not to be too contentious, David, but I think you did start with saying it's not ready for code yet. And I'd, I'd be curious to learn more why you why you think that, yeah. Yeah, sure. I actually wanted to share that with you. Um, and this is now time, just like a month ago. So that's yeah. um, forever in computer years. So maybe maybe it's quite a bit different now. But mm. um, a couple months ago or so, I asked it to take some code and do a refactoring 
that uh, Bob Martin taught me, which is extract until you can extract no more. Basically, take some code and make the cyclomatic complexity of every method one. Mm -hmm. And it just couldn't do it. And I tried mm -hmm. everything I could and hours and hours and it just re refused. Yeah. It's like, no, I will not do this. <laughs> and of course, it's been trained on a corpus of code that doesn't respect these these kind of things. So that's probably yeah. why. Well, I, I, that's interesting. I want to I want to give that a shot. Actually, uh, that's pretty good. Prompt. Um, you know, I, I find that, uh, um, and, and I think maybe Austin might be referring to this too. But and 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 I think that's a really good point. Is it might not be ready for something like that. Um, but I, you know, I think the pattern I've been using uh, a lot lately is um, is you know kind of prompting for a unit test and then when the unit test is failing then prompting to solve the unit test and and just bouncing back and forth back and forth back and forth um and that that has been uh, quite nice. effective um and and so uh that that pattern i've been using a lot and yeah there's a lot of adjustments that need to be made but uh, like the the amount of boilerplate so it's like it's making me a little bit more effective, right? But like, you know, not super effective, but with the exception of Streamlit, like Streamlit was a, a, a very different experience. It was like, I want this, 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 and this. And I had a fully functional website that did all of it. And I was just like, my jaw dropped. I was like, this is crazy. Um, and, but wow. it doesn't, it doesn't pan out every time, but it it's like, um, you know, I, I, it was like data, you know, I had data science elements, uh, it was putting graphs on the screen. It was scalable to thousands of users, all, all kinds of weird stuff. And, and it succeeded. Um, and so yeah, that was all really interesting. So I don't know, it, so, it's, so, it's somewhere in between. <laughs> yes. So test first has been such a help for me as a developer yeah. to really focus in. And I just like, as you're speaking, it, it didn't occur to me until now, like, Maybe I should ask Chad to write tests for me first. Mm -hmm. So yeah, and, thank you, thank you. And actually, and, <laughs> I would so love for your to refactoring, you right? You wouldn't you wouldn't refactor without tests, right? And so, um, and one thing that I noticed, and and there's a code writing function in ChatGPT if you have the paid version, and it will actually run the code and then check its work, but it only works in Python. Um, but you can do that in any language. So if you prompt for a test and then you have the test fail, you give it the test failure. And so then if you're refactoring, then you say, oh, these tests failed and these tests failed. And it's like, oh, I'll try again, I'll try again. And eventually it will hit it, um, which has also been a really cool thing to watch. Um, yes, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For us, what we've noticed, I think we're kind of in two modes. Um, and I think our default mode is we're like, we know you're trained on the world's internet, uh, the internet's code. And so we know you're really good at so making things work, not necessarily making it maintainable. <laughs> yeah. And so yeah. what we do yeah. is we just treat it as uh, a helpful you know, problem solver to make it work. Um, and then we'll do the make it right part. Um, and so I feel like that's kind of our default mode, but then there, there are times where I feel like... Uh, uh, Parker, who was on a previous episode in my current team in mob, he will, he, he's passionate about prompting it in different ways. And so he'll sometimes give it a bunch of code and say, refactor it. And what we've realized is that it's refactoring. Like we'll say like, you know, imagine you're Kent Beck or imagine you're an extreme programmer and then refactor this code. 
it doesn't give us gloriously refactored code, but it usually gives us a few refactorings that we didn't think of that were like, oh yeah, that could be way cleaner, you know, or um, so I think it's good at simplifying. I feel like that's maybe it's best yes. uh, refactoring is kind of like, sometimes we were looking at it and we're like, you know, this like five arrow things going on, this doesn't, seems like it could be simpler. And then we throw it to it and then it'll be like, oh, here's a one line thing. And it just, and, and it's much easier to read, you know, and so. Well, yeah. uh, all this talk about naming. quality. Yeah, yeah, naming for <laughs> sure is really a yeah, lot they're good at that. But all this talk yeah. about quality, uh, maybe we wanted to talk about Beyond Legacy Code a little bit. Um, oh, yeah. Uh, thank you. <laughs> before we run out of time. Yeah, I just had so a this, right, this reminder my for myself to go back to it. <laughs> thank you. So, um, and this, this book is really about our industry. And I wrote it not just for us developers, but also for our managers and it's trying to explain why the technical practices are valuable and important, you know, why it's important to write maintainable code and how to do it. So the first third of the book or so is really, I call it the legacy code crisis. And we all know that our industry could do so much better. And I, I give you the statistics and it's shocking. Even to us veterans, it's shocking. Um, then the rest of the book is really about nine key practices, mostly from extreme programming to be able to mitigate that and, and why they're useful and how to use them correctly. Um, but I try to write it in a way that would be accessible to most people. The, the last two chapters are, are a tiny bit more technical because I wanna show us how to write good tests and all, but the rest, a, a non-developer could read as well and find value in it. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, and I'm so happy to say that it has it has influenced a lot of people who are great in our industry, including you guys, which is really nice. Yeah, so. that was kind of my gateway into uh, the XP uh, goodness. So I appreciate that. And the the stat yeah, on um, how much millions of dollars are uh, spent on millions uh, <laughs> uh, on bugs what, is is one I refer to often. <laughs> so, yeah, because it's you know, yeah, and not just bugs, just poor process. Yes. Like we don't yeah. think about like common sense in our processes. I think it's because we're all really smart and smart people sometimes like to make things harder than they really need to be. Yeah. So yeah. like when you go to change some something, we go to change it and we we don't really realize that there might not be a space to add a new feature yet. So, you know, refactoring to the open close, which is a standard technique that I use all the time, is that I make the space in the code first and then I add the new feature and it is much simpler to do that you yeah, know it's yeah. so much harder to try to cram the feature in when there's no space for it yeah so if we just take a little common sense and think about what we're doing first i think it will make life a lot easier for ourselves and for our clients nice yeah. nice for sure yeah yeah and i think um uh yeah I, i've definitely lived uh what it's like to not have all that waste of, you know, going back and debugging and fixing and, you know, or trying to make something extensible that wasn't extensible in the first place. <laughs> and uh, I think the stat helps me understand a lot why people are like, well, if you're right about XP, uh, how come, you know, software everywhere is not crashing? And in some ways it is. <laughs> I think a lot of stuff yes. is, has a lot of problems. But what, what I always remember is uh, times and places where companies have set up budgets to pay for that debt up, you know, like we're going to, they, they budget in, we're going to have all these problems and we're going to pay for it by having this huge manual test force 
or we're going to pay for 60% of the time than debugging or whatever. Right. And, and that's, that's how software keeps going is because that huge dollar amount is spent <laughs> when you don't actually need to spend that. <laughs> and so, um, yeah, so I, I really appreciate that stat. Um, we are and, and fit for oh, purpose. go ahead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fit for purpose. I mean, it works for the what it's intended to do, but the challenge is, is we always need to repurpose our code. If it's still going to be used, yeah. it's going to be need to be changed. And that's the challenge is that the way we write software today, it's not changeable. And it, it's not that hard to write changeable code. Honestly, you know, the people in the agile movement and as the extreme programming people, they figured it out and we can learn from that, you know? For sure, for sure. Yeah. Awesome. Well, we are uh, hitting near the end of our time box. Is there anything you'd like to share or plug before we close, David? Yeah, I want to mention my books again. <clears throat> so the first book, Beyond Legacy Code, is available from uh, the Pragmatic Bookshelf. Uh, and my new book that just came out, Prompt Engineering for Everyone, is available on Amazon, KDP. And... Um, available as Kindle or paperback. Uh, I also teach classes for people who want to dive deep into uh, developer issues. Uh, so it's a certified Scrum developer class, and uh, they're online about every month. I got one coming up in, in just a couple of weeks uh, and several more coming up throughout the year. Uh, and it really is focused on the technical practices that allow us to build really extendable code and also enjoy the process. So that's a lot of fun for anyone who wants to check out. My website is tobeagile.com, and that's T-O-B-E-A-G-L-E.com. And um, my new website for the new book is the Passionate Programmer, P-A-S-S-P-R-O-G.com. Fantastic. And thank you guys so much. It's so great to see you guys again. Yeah, thank you so much for coming on the show. I mean, uh, as you can tell, Chris and I love this uh, topic. And so this is really fun to jump into it with someone else who's... Uh, equally passionate about it so it's, it's definitely a lot of fun thanks for joining us today david uh yeah definitely check out his books and to our audience um you know please uh, like and subscribe share it with someone else who you think might uh find uh prompt engineering uh some way they can uh, grow and learn and uh continue their journey in whatever sphere you know uh so it doesn't have to be a tech and business like we often talk about it can be something else and so uh it looks like a lot of uh uh, and it looks like, and also I know a lot of David's insights can apply to many, many uh, spheres. So uh, yeah, thanks for listening and uh, mob on everybody and have a good one. Talk to you later. Bye everyone. Thank you. Thank you guys.